You're listening to ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Inspired to Act, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine. Inspired to Act is presented by PrimeMed, your leader in continuing medical education. Here is your host, founding chair, Department of Neurology, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Martin A. Samuels. What lessons can be learned about the American healthcare system, both patient care and education, from physicians practicing in other countries? Joining us today from Bogota, Colombia, to discuss this topic is the distinguished author of more than 70 scientific papers, editor of the neurology textbook Neurologia, medical directory at the Fundacion Santa Fe de Bogota, and professor of neurology at the Universidad de los Andes, noted neurologist and educator, Dr. Jaime Toro. Welcome, Jaime, to the uh, program Inspired to Act. Thank you very much, Marty, for inviting me to your program. It's a pleasure to have you here, Jaime. Uh, we know each other pretty well for a few years now, and I had a chance to visit you recently. I think our listeners, who are mostly medical professionals and physicians, uh, would be interested in hearing how you became a doctor, how the system differs from ours. Okay. Well, really, I wanted to be a doctor since I was nine years old. I never figured doing any other thing. And I went to a very good medical school here in Bogota called it Rosario. The system really is somewhat different from yours. We do five years. Then we take an internship, which is part of our education. And from then on, we have to do a rural year. We usually go to a rural place in Colombia to a hospital or a health center to do medicine, general medicine usually. That's a very interesting idea, that one, of going to a small town or somewhere out in the country. Yeah. And and this is for pay? Do you get paid for this, or is it part of your education? You don't really get very well paid, but you have a nice time. You go Sometimes you find a good hospital. I went to a very small town called Libano, which had a, what, 150-bed hospital with all the, the things that I needed. It was nice. I had relatively good income and saw a lot of pathology there. Every student who finishes his career has to go into that rural year. So the system, uh, the education itself, is sort of a European-style uh, system, but this rural year is almost unique. Do other countries have that? Some other countries, Ecuador, for instance, and Peru, have some of them have rural years. Now, people are going into rural years to do research also, but, you know, we'd like them to go to the countryside and go to see poor people in places where there are no physicians or specialists. Now they're trying to do another kind of rural, which is when you finish your residency program, they ask you to go one year also and help these people being a specialist. So how did you get interested in neurological medicine? Was that from the beginning also, or did you have a mentor? What really inspired me into going into neurology was a very close friend of my father, who was in Colombia at that time, and was very well-known neurologist with a great prestige. When I was in medical school, I really wanted to be an internist. I didn't uh. want to go into neurology. <laughs> I didn't have a mentor in neurology who would really make me decide into going into this field. This guy, which I'm telling you, friend of my father, really convinced me into being a neurologist. I don't know how he did it, but I really began having a great interest in the field. He invited me to join his program at a military hospital where he was chairman. This was a big hospital, a 1,000-bed hospital. At the beginning, I was, you know, planning. I did my ECFMG, what's equivalent to the USMLE now, 
and I was planning to go to the United States and do internal medicine. But finally, my family convinced me of staying in Colombia. This guy, after taking the exams, admitted me to the program in neurology at the military hospital, and it was very nice also. In this country, back in the time when you and I uh, trained, there was a lot of uh, talk about neurological medicine not being very therapeutic, you know, nothing to do for people. Oh, yeah. Did you have that same kind of reputation down there yeah, in Yeah, that was the same reputation. We're trying to change that now. That's uh, right. <laughs> We're trying to change because students say that. We just, you know, do nice diagnosis, but don't treat people. Don't make them well. Yeah, it's diagnose and adios, right? Uh, 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 diagnose and <laughs> adios, yes. Yes, but the things are changing. Now, as I told you when you were here, we're having a lot of students trying to go into neurology, so that's nice. That's probably because the treatments really are better than they once were, don't you think? Yes, it's probably that, and we try to make them like neurology also. You spent a fair amount of time in the United States growing up, didn't you, Jaime, in Texas? Yes. Well, my father was taking a Ph.D. in Austin, Texas, and we went over with him to Austin, and I spent about four years as a child in Austin. I haven't been there after that. Yeah, that's is why, obviously, you speak such beautiful uh, English, is that you were there during the language acquisition years. Tell us, I mean, you really know both systems, our system and the Colombian system, really, really well, much better than most people. What would you say the essential difference is, not so much in the education, but in the actual delivery of patient care? Patient care, okay. Yeah. Well, though you asked me to do a very relaxed interview without uh, <laughs> taking time, checking too much information, I really couldn't avoid it. And I was impressed with some of the numbers that I went over. I couldn't believe that of the 47 million U.S. residents without health insurance, 8.7 million are children. That really impressed me. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I couldn't believe that health costs have risen at five times the rate of inflation. I think that the President Obama is doing the right thing to reform this and to have more coverage. Our system, although with great problems, is considered now one of the best ones in Latin America. Let me tell you how it works. The health reform was taking place in 1993. It was changed completely, radically. It specifies two systems, the contributory and the subsidized. So population with the ability to pay and is financed through employees and employers. Contribution is done by people with formal jobs. So people usually, through a tax of 12% of their incomes, is given to the government, and 8% is paid by the employee and 4% by the employer. From that 12%, one-twelfth of the resources collected go to another system, which is the resources for, plus some other resources of the Ministry of Health, go to the subsidized system. And this is the system which covers the poor. Anyone who has an income has to give 12% of his income to a system, and from that we can get some percentage who goes to the subsidized who covers the poor. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Inspired to Act on ReachMD Radio, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Martin Samuels, and joining me today is Dr. Jaime Toro, and we're discussing lessons to be learned about the U.S. healthcare system, both patient care and education, 
from physicians practicing in other countries. That sounds like a pretty stiff tax, uh, 12% tax. Do you think the American people would probably be up in arms about this? How do the Colombian people accept this kind of high taxation? They accept it, Marty. They accept the tax. They pay them all. It's so different from before 1993 when we had the other system. We now are having very many difficulties, and it's going to be reformed again. But its coverage is very good, I think. For a poor country like Colombia, it has a coverage of 75 to 80% of the population. Yeah, that's remarkable. You were telling me that a lot of people uh, go to emergency departments for their routine care. You mentioned that to me when I was visiting in Bogota recently. That's a similar problem here. Is there a lot of money wasted, people going and having a lot of expensive tests uh, in the emergency department rather than going to their primary care doctors? Yes, this is a real problem here. People want to be seen very fast, so they don't go to their primary health doctors or specialists, which could see them as an out clinic, and they go to the emergency room. We're packed with patients all over the time, even patients want physicians to do a lot of examinations to do a CT scan and MRI and all these things. So if you saw a patient who didn't have any insurance, they came to the emergency department and you wanted to order a lot of tests, could you just go ahead and do that? There wouldn't be anything to stop you? The entity which would stop me would be the hospital. The hospital wouldn't like me to do a lot of exams, but if the patient needs them, we have to do all the exams. And if he needs an admission and he doesn't have an insurance, he has to be admitted to the hospital also. So this must be a very expensive system. It's very expensive. That's the problem that we're having right now, that it is very expensive. And, you know, with all this uh, catastrophic illness and all these new medicines and drugs, we have really problems because things are very expensive. For instance, for people with multiple sclerosis, they'll give them interferon to many of the patients with no problem. Let me ask you something about medical education. You've been very much involved in this. Uh, You're an inspiring mentor. I saw it with my own eyes there. You've seen both systems. A lot of your students do come and spend time with us. How would you compare the two medical education systems? What are the sort of the pros and cons of the two systems? Well, I think that we're having many of the problems that you might be having. Many of our health providers are reluctant to participate in medical education. The teaching of medical students, they are very much concerned about the patient satisfaction and the cost of health system with students involved in the care of patients. So we're having all these problems with these all health providers trying to stop medical students going into seeing patients and asking for exams and all these things. So I think this is somewhat similar to what might happen in the United States. You know, we have a great influence from the USA here, more than from Europe, really. So the system is quite similar. Do you feel that the students you're putting out today are trained as well as they were when you were going through medical schools in Colombia? I think they are better trained because they have more things. People are trained better right now. The facilities are much better, and they're more supervised than when I was trained. Is it competitive to get into medical school? Are the brightest young people wanting to go to medical school or are they wanting to go to business school or law school or other things? There's a lot of bright students who like to go into law school and to economics and business administration and all these things, but we still have a lot of bright kids going into medicine. 
So my last thing I wanted to ask you, what you're telling your students now about where you think the future of medicine, in particular neurology, is going? Is it going to be technology? Are we going to still be talking to patients the way we are now when they're maturing into their career? What do you think the direction will be? I now insist on that you have to talk to patients. <laughs> I'm doing that, and I think <laughs> we must preserve that for years. They have to know about technology, but, you know, sometimes students come to you and tell you the MRI shows this, and they don't tell you about the neurologic exam. <laughs> I insist on seeing the patients and talking to the patients, and you can use the technology, but I think that talking to patients is, is going to be there all the time. Well, I can be a witness to that because when I was down there, I, had a, I volunteered to see some patients, and I think we saw a string of about nine patients in one <laughs> afternoon, didn't we, Jaime? Yes. In you front had to of work hard that day. Yeah, we, I worked hard that day, but it was <laughs> otherwise a pleasure. I'd like to thank my guest, the noted neurologist from Bogota, Colombia, Dr. Jaime Toro. Jaime, thanks so much for spending time with us this week on Inspired to Act. Thank you very much, Martin. You have been listening to Inspired to Act on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine, hosted by Dr. Martin A. Samuels, and presented by PrimeMed, the leader in continuing medical education. At PrimeMed, we believe in you, the practicing healthcare professional, and we support your commitment to your patients. Our goal is to give you the tools to stay up-to-date with the latest developments in your field, whether you treat day-to-day -day patients and their average and not-so-average illnesses, or patients dealing with diverse chronic conditions. PrimeMed CME programs are designed for you. We know you each learn differently. That's why we offer education in a variety of formats. Live, because you like to interact with peers and faculty. Online, because it's convenient and available to fit your schedule and in print because of its portability. Regardless of the medium, PrimeMed delivers knowledge that touches patients. PrimeMed CME is developed through extensive collaboration with leading professional associations, academic institutions, hospitals, technology companies, and over 1,500 prominent faculty. With over 120 live meetings and 300-plus online CME activities, 350,000 healthcare professionals globally trust PrimeMed as their source to stay better informed and educated in today's always-on world. We invite you to join us in person at an innovative cutting-edge meeting and clinical education program. If it's more convenient, visit PrimeMed online. For more information, visit www.pri-med.com. Thank you for learning with PrimeMed.